This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I would have been able to be conversant in, in the realm of black and white gothic horror and then getting the message last night that I had to switch to something else because of course you've you're you're black and white gothic horrored out and you've you've done your Halloween episodes. (laughs) We're we're actually never black and white gothic out. Yeah. Any black and white gothics you want to talk about is fine with me. (laughs) We can do both. Well no I got I got I got the word he was gonna do one thing. I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. And then I got literally right after we had finished running through a list of Actually, I had finished editing an episode all about black and white gothic horror. And I was like, wait a minute, what happened? Um, so I don't know. We can do both, Xander. We don't care. No, it's you know, it's there like, are no rules. They, they both come. My father was an artist. Um, he was an illustrator, a painter, and uh, block prints. But um, he became head of the art department for a publishing company to support the family when, when I was young. And um, so, but he, he loved the theater and he loved film and and uh, I sort of credit my sort of un- circuitous under the radar journey as an actor um, to his sensibilities to a great extent. I think we're always, if we admire our fathers, we want to please them. And uh, he, it was, I think it was that incredible period in, in the uh, 70s, I was in high school that PBS Channel 13 on the East Coast started airing all of these incredible films on the weekends. And, you know, my father was a bit of a night owl and we lived in the countryside in New Jersey and he didn't get into the city to see the films that he would have loved to have seen first run, but suddenly here was a chance to see them all. And it was just a little too late for my mom would be tottering up and and I would be tottering down going, and he's like, and so I got initiated into a, a pure love of cinema through him and both the uh, from earlier, like as a kid, the the black and white gothic horror films. Somehow they had a connection. My father knew somebody that had a sixteen millimeter projector and screen, and they they picked some really terrifying old church. Uh, to screen these movies in. And so uh, when I was way too young to be watching them, I, I saw all of those in that setting at one time or another in a sequence, they did a sort of wow. black and white horror film festival. And it, it scarred me in, in, in both good and bad ways, I think for life. Um, <laughs> yeah. And a, a lot of the, the, you know, the fact that I've been killed over 50 times on film, I, I think has a lot to do with um, the fact that, I, I would stage fist uh, fights with with friends um, with breakaway sticks, and I, you know, crude makeup originally like ketchup and burnt cork and stuff, and we would wait for the dramatic uh, sequence in the fight when um, a car was coming down the down the road, and we're doing this right by the curb, and have a, a preset breakaway stick to smash over the head, and then lay in the curb with ketchup running in the right direction and cork to look like we've been fighting and the impact of the the squealing of brakes to see if i was okay before i peeled off into the woods um 
was such pure delight. And, and my father, instead of being mad at me, he got me this great um, makeup kit and uh, wow. with novelty makeup and, and the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the William Corso stage makeup book to go with it on my like 12th or 13th birthday or something. So I was cursed for life because I, I started, I was already making little monsters and things as a sculptor and a painter. And, and so I got to do that on myself. And in, in my whole initiation into the theater from a very young age on was both as an actor and as a makeup artist first on myself. And then when they saw that I had chops, they would coerce or entice or even pay me at times to do it for others. And, um, so I came to Hollywood in my early twenties with some skills as a makeup artist in place and, wow. and uh, became friends with a lot of the special effects makeup people on the way and got taught more skills. And it's just a real passion. And, and I think that, that, uh, you know, obviously uh, the Lon Chaney Jr. And Lon Chaney Sr. I'm sure influenced him. Um, that idea of creating a character and, and I'm just now because you guys this is your your world but I feel like I'm just I flirted with horror insofar as I did Candyman and a few right. sci-fi things but <clears throat> it was almost like I was saving it I always felt like I was saving it until I got older like Vincent Price or something. <laughs> <laughs> and that it would give me my sort of like last act <laughs> uh, and um, that doing my own makeup and creating a monster. Like I, I really do feel like my whole career has just been a preparation to being a truly terrifying monster. Um, but one in the old school Gothic horror oeuvre right. where they were, uh, you could empathize with them and you could understand them and you could see that they had, you know, issues, issues, <laughs> issues, but, yeah. that they were, <laughs> but they were sometimes like, I mean, Frankenstein was so sympathetic and, and uh, I think that what he did, that's the ultimate, but all of them, so many of them. But anyway, I, I, I switched courses because I know you've done that. And well, by the way, we're, we're happy to do either. There are no rules, or if you want to bounce from one list to the other, that could be yeah, kind of just funny. Go from one to the other. This is The Movies That Made Me with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. I should we should introduce our our, yeah, our, yeah. our guest, and I, I want to say it's so funny that you're saying that because um, this ties into what you just said. I, every time I see you in something, I'm, I'm tempted to ask if you're holding, and I feel like you are my go-to in my head. I don't think of '70s era street-level drug dealers often, but when I do, they look like you. <laughs> And I was sort of scrolling through your IMDb. As far as I can tell, you you haven't played that very often. You just played it enough. You're in Sid and Nancy as that character, and you're so memorable. Um, wait, did I say we're talking to Xander Berkeley? Great, great, great actor. Yeah. And every time uh, I see you, I think of that. Every time I think of that, I see you. You're so um, memorable in that part. It is such a such a. a I did. A visit I from did somebody. do some research. I did a little homework. <laughs> I tried to make it authentic. But but I feel like I've seen you in that part a hundred times, and I, I realize I haven't. And and that goes to what you were just saying because uh, we watched The Dark and the Wicked this week, 
um, which is a film you're, you're in that's, that's out now, um, or about to come out, or be out by the time you uh, hear this. And it's a, it's, a, it's a terrific dark horror film. And you play um, a, a, a priest, a very creepy priest. And in the best way possible, I thought, oh, yeah, I love when he does this. And you haven't done it before, have you? This no, is, I this haven't. Is, <laughs> no, no, I haven't. It's, um, there, there's something about seeing you in a part uh, that, that you fit so well, where it's like, oh, here he comes doing that thing he does so well. And, and uh, it's not. <laughs> And it's not, yeah, it's but, not. but that's really funny because somebody just saw it and uh, posted somewhere that they'd seen it because their upstairs neighbor is one of the producers and that they they love uh, it and and what I got to do in it and uh, and said they've never seen me do a part like that before. And, and so it's almost speaking to, to that because I feel like it's something that I've been doing in a weird kind of <laughs> my whole life. Um, but I'd never really have had a, I've, I've had chances. I've just demurred them at earlier stages. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just a funny thing, uh, how you, the choices you make. And, you know, I, I just really have always thought in the back of my mind, this would be a great uh, direction to go when I got older. But yeah. And, and part of it is the makeup thing. Cause I've been, I've, I've played when I was on stage as a kid, you know, teenager, I, I was cited as always playing iron-footed roles older than my years because I mm -hmm. had a certain gravitas or a certain aesthetic weight that uh, then if I was older, than, heavier than my peers, perhaps. Um, and so I would end up playing the age, and then so I would do the makeup in order to make it conceivable. Because um, it was always cast with kids, right, in the early days. And, uh, and I just got fascinated by that that part of it. And, you know, even there in the dark and the wicked, I, I'd normally, uh, the, the Milan, uh, was one of the producers and he, he just ran into me at South by Southwest. Cause I was there with another film, the wall of Mexico, which just came out as well. You oh, might want to check out. Um, and that was premiering at South by and, and, uh, he said, what are you doing? You're in Texas. Uh, you, you want to stay an extra couple of weeks? We're doing this movie down and I'll take it down there. Okay. I, I took a look at it. That, that'd be fun. And um, I would have brought my, my kit, my, one of my now much evolved makeup kit, which would have had added gel and green seal, green marble sealer and various other air dried prosade you know, tricks of the trade to, to get myself looking older. Cause part of the effect of that was an old country priest and I, uh, I I have a lot of kin from Texas and I was channeling some of the weird impressions I had as a kid going down to Texas and and uh meeting old people in Texas back when I was little. So I kind of wanted to evoke something from another time. Something yeah. almost timeless. And I, I I thought we we all agreed that the part was written for somebody older. Um and so I would. I wanted to age up, and and all I had was their rather limited, low budget uh, makeup to to you know work with down there on, on location, and um, we we made the best of it. And yeah, well, that was very effective. Um, I, I, if I hadn't seen you in other things, I'd think they had just dragged some uh, creepy old priest off the street. So <laughs> yeah, it was, it was fun, man. That. Brian's a good director, don't you think? I mean, yeah, no, really it's, it's well, yeah, yeah. It's uh, um, there's some great scares in there too. It's 
Did you see it, Joe? Have you seen no, it? I haven't seen it. No, I think they've not got it yet. Yeah, there was a screener glitch. I feel bad about that, but uh, I, have, I have seen it. I, I would say it's fun. It's fun. It's very dark. Um, dark, moody, but, uh, atmospheric. Moody, definitely moody and atmospheric. Yes, very much so. So you know, uh, since we started chatting about the the, the gothic horror, I, I I wanted to switch since you guys have done that, um, and and apropos that that golden era when. PBS was showing all all the uh, all the foreign films from the late '60s and early '70s. It's yeah. just really an incredible golden era, and uh, and that being an initiation into real cinema. The other was an initiation into film, and and certainly the idea of makeup and horror. But um, the list I, I sent someone last night off the top of my head. So I'll sort of pull yeah, up. Yeah, you want to talk about some of those? Those. Uh, yeah, I'd love some... to hear what you guys have to say because you guys, you know, you're real cinephiles, and and I would I would love to have the conversation about those films because those are the ones that I remember just blowing my mind. And because my father was a visual artist, him sort of seeing it from the point of view of maison scene and and design, and because mm-hmm. film is a visual medium for storytelling in a way yes unlike podcasts yeah and 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 just unlike even unlike theater which is you know you just sort of set with a a set and but there's something about this magical movement of camera and and composition of frame that i will any chance i get that's why i tried to work with as many directors that i have over the years even in smaller roles just so i can i can continue my ongoing education and so for me, what would be really exciting about this is to listen to you guys talk about those those films. Okay, well, we will we will converse, but but uh, yeah, no, nobody wants to hear us talk. It's so uh, we want we're we're here for you. The uh, well, why do you do you want to start with like um like the first one on your list, and we'll just sort of La, La Dolce Vita. Hey, it's an it's an obvious choice, yeah. sweet life, but you know then the double entendre is that choosing to be in film for our lives, however rough a road it's been, it's a sweet life, ain't it? I mean. <laughs> and and Fellini, to me, conjures this world of, you know, this sort of semi-esoteric and semi-exotic. Uh, well, they're very both, very esoteric and exotic, and and foreign and and enticing. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that's a film I've seen repeatedly and never would ever get tired of and could happily be in a house that had a, a different version of or, you know different having started it on different tvs and different times and just enter the rooms and, and leave and and be a part of that uh unfolding which is it's like it's not particularly narrative you don't have to see it beginning middle and end so you can enter it at any point and i have over the years and and uh, i'd love to hear your thoughts on that film uh, one of the first one of the first places I went when I went to uh, Italy was to the Fountain of Trevi, of course. Mm, yeah, <laughs> because of course, yes. How can you not? It's always a bit of a letdown without without her in it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And it, it also looks a little smaller in real life, <laughs> like like so many things. Uh, and it's not in black and white, which is tragic. But um, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's not my favorite Fellini movie, but it's a great Fellini movie, and uh, it, it comes off. It's 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 the end of his fifties period when he was. Uh, doing a lot of really interesting stuff, but wasn't really getting accolades mm-hmm. uh, for them. And uh, is that true? And, and, 
Yeah, some of them. Some of them were, sort of, well, so when, funny. What I think. He made a picture in 1955 called Il Bidoni, the Swindle, with Broderick Crawford and Richard Basehart and, and Juliet Messina. And uh, they had a, a screening in, in, I think it was Venice or Cannes, and it was, it was dumped on. The critics hated it. And he went back and cut like 25 minutes out of the picture because he was so upset at the, uh, at the response, which is, I'm, I'm happy to say, has been reinstated. Uh, and so if you buy the Criterion version, you well. can get, get the entire movie. I saw it dubbed, of course, because that's how we saw a lot of those movies in those days. And, uh, and, and, and the voices of the actors that you know are, you know, they're, they're, it's their voices. And, and it's a little disconcerting always to me to watch actors whose voices I know speak in another language <clears throat> dubbed by somebody else. Yeah, because it really takes a little bit of getting used to. Although they do make the effort to try to find people who sound gravelly or whatever, to to yeah. so that people who who know will say, "Well, yeah, okay." And 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 I I do that in my own movies. I mean, where you have to uh, you have to okay a lot of foreign dubs, and you try to find people who sound mm -hmm. to your ears somewhat like the people they're dubbing. Um, well, apropos Fellini and dubbing. Um, the, uh, the, there's an urban legend that uh, that he never even made an attempt to. I mean, he, all of the actors in all of his films always looped their performances because, and and was it either because they could never get the Italians to shut up on set, the crew and everybody would be talking, so he just, or, or some other reason that he actually used that as part of his. Uh, his effect that there's something a little no that seems to be traditional in, in, in Italian movies and and not just because it's easier to let people hammer on the set while people are shooting but also <laughs> because so many of the pictures had international casts and so many people were not speaking only one language right okay and, and so they they just hit upon this idea they will we'll fix it later we'll dump it later and we'll find a voice we like better you know and, and Fellini was 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 renowned for putting voices to faces that didn't really weren't really the the voices of the people because some of them were, were not real trained actors yeah yeah well and and you know i i've always thought like it would be really fun to do a movie that way and uh, to direct a movie with where you didn't have to worry about holding for sound or the overlaps or anything and you could whatever problems you were having with the the vernacular of a, massaging a certain you could work it out just make sure right. you're shooting on the other missing on that person's back yeah <laughs> it, it, it worked for dw griffith yeah <laughs> Yeah, I remember being shocked when I when I learned that. Uh, I mean, it was only a few years ago. That, yeah, when did they, I mean, it, it, it was very recently when they stopped doing that in Italy. Well, there's right? a fun, there's a funny joke in Day for Night where um, uh, Valentina Cortessa has to have these um, pieces of paper all over the set, you know, and to 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 because she can't remember her lines, and then she says, "Why don't you just do it like Federico and just say numbers?" Because <laughs> <laughs> they would do that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just think of the preciousness that you could do away with and the facility with which you could shoot if you didn't have to worry about it. Well, how many times has the guy said, we need to do it again for sound? And I know. The, and the actor says, but I was perfect. This is my best take. Now yeah. I've got to do it over. It was I was thinking about the downside. Even even before I knew that, I knew that, you know, when I'm watching The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly or something, if there's sometimes three people in a scene who are all speaking different languages who cannot communicate with each other at all, you know, in, in the real world. And... Uh, that just seems like such a train wreck of a way to, yeah, and yet some amazing movies come out of that. But imagine yeah, doing it, a scene with someone where you're speaking English, they're speaking Italian, and the guy who's interjecting is speaking German. You know, it's um, I, <laughs> insane. Yeah, well, 
And I think it'd be fun to try one that way. So um, one. Yeah, one, just one. Yes. <laughs> but you know, uh, so I think uh, probably, I, I, what, Joe, what's your feeling about eight and a half? No, that's my uh, oh gee joe do you have you ever seen eight and a half joe <laughs> i uh i i i'm gonna i'm gonna demur a little bit because i've told this all my all my eight and a half stories so many times on this podcast. Okay. but uh it is it's a movie that i go to i don't know once every two years and it's a different movie i'm a different yeah. person it's a different yeah. movie i see different things I, I know things now that i didn't know when i saw originally and oh, I, know. I, was, I was 14. Uh, and yeah. it's, and it's, and I'm a different person now and it's a different, and it's, it's the same movie, but it's, it's a different movie. Oh my God. It, absolutely. A hundred percent for me as well. I just saw it recently. And I think I did see it first when I was 14 and, and an entirely different movie each time. And, and, uh, and, you know, just back to Dolce Vita, it's, it, for me, um, I had that experience once it was right after the earthquake in, um, in LA and the big one and everybody had been uh, stayed in for a week and at the end of the week it's like everybody was stir crazy wanted to get the hell out they'd never been through covid um (laughs) (laughs) but uh i decided that and it was fellini had just passed away and it was his birthday uh coming up so i had a party a big old hollywood house that i had for years um and everybody traipsed over and I had everybody either bring their favorite um, Italian dish that they made or the, their favorite bottle of red wine or uh, their favorite Fellini movie. <clears throat> and, and I had a few other people bring TVs. It was all VCR at the time. So we, we'd had in all the different rooms, we had a different movie going on. Oh. There were a couple, La Dolce Vita was playing in a couple of rooms and it was, it was so the perfect way to see it. Yeah. With this sort of intelligentsia cinephile crowd that was moving and sort of in and out of rooms. And I, I felt like I'd seen the movie before and I've seen it since, but I always felt like that was whoopsie. Just, no, you're something. fine. Okay, I lost my visual by hitting <laughs> hitting the keypad with my knuckle. Well, um, we're not we're not doing anything interesting, so don't worry. Yeah, yeah okay. I was enjoying looking at you guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that uh, that felt like the atmosphere of the film. But of course, yeah. if I had to sit in a theater and watch it beginning to end, um, even the Criterion's new unedited with an another uh, twenty five minutes added, in, I might not make it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It is. It's a wonderful film for for that. That's a great way to see it, and just. Um... Well, it'd be fun as you have the sound off, except for except for every time somebody shouts Marcello, just have that play. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and then everybody comes. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's a movie that I, I'm with you. I remember the first time I saw it, kind of being perplexed on one hand by the love for it because it it is kind of long and meandering, and on the other hand, just wanting to go live in it. You know. Yeah, and <laughs> and and it, he takes you through an experience. Yeah. And then like at the end when they're at the beach and the sun's coming up, you feel uh, like you've been up all night watching. Yeah. That fucking thing. yeah. And, yeah. and that now you get to walk out, out of the club, out of the, the movie and into, into it's light out. Oh my God. Yeah. We stayed up all night. And <laughs> yeah. what's, what's, and, what's really, it was interesting when I went to, uh, to Italy again, was uh, the Via Veneto in the movie is not, a, it's, it's not a soundstage. It's not the real mm. Via Veneto. 
because it's all at night and I guess he didn't want to shoot all night. So they built it on, on the stage. And so when right. I got to the real event video, I kept looking for, is this, is this where, And because I, I do that with movie lots. I always go, this is where so-and-so stood when he did. But I couldn't do it there because it, 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 it's obviously changed quite a bit, but it, even the topography was different than it was in the movie. Yeah, only the Trevi fat remains the same. Yeah. <laughs> Just Eternal. Now in total contrast to yeah. the, the meandering uh, one could, uh, I'm sure some of the critics would have indulged, would have described it as self-indulgent in its lack of structure and, and uh, so forth. Le Cirque Rouge ah, um, is sort of the, the archetype of structure and discipline and meticulousness, this Swiss watch of a movie. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love that one. I, I, I always get it mixed up with Daredevils of the Red Circle. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's much longer, Joe. I know. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah I, I love that film. I, I love Melville. Um, and I, I went through a phase recently of watching a whole bunch of his, his films, um, kind of inspired by this show. But uh, yeah, he's, he's um, it's just so fun to watch, you know, our genres uh, filtered through a foreign sensibility and given back to us by people who... Yeah who take different things from them than we do. And, uh, um, oh, yeah, that, that's the whole thing. Sergio Leone thing. Yeah. That's how, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when it works, it, it just, it works, you know, and I, I, uh, it's one of those films like that. Um, uh, Rafifi, which I understand, you know, best was American, went to France and so forth, but yeah. the, the art of the long form, nearly silent, almost real time heist in a movie. Um, oh, when they pull those off, it's, there's just something about it. That's so riveting, you know? And, uh, um, yeah, uh, it's a, it's a grand film. And, uh, um, there, there was a point in the, uh, in the, uh, I guess it was in the eighties and I was friends with C Cusack and Jeremy Piven and all this whole crowd from the theater scene. And, uh, I, they were all, they were all friends and they'd all grown up together and they all sort of had their own careers going. And I thought they would have been great to cast as a, uh, and, and I'd seen the Cirque Rouge way earlier and then I saw it way later. Sort of went, eh, the, the thing, it, it, to have like a heist movie with a crowd of friends, but set it in the hideaway where they're on the lamb after they've done the thing and then show, like they pulled this freaking amazing heist off. They're all going to be rich, as rich as they need to be for the rest of their lives. But they drive each other crazy and kill each other while they're on, you know, all of the ego, the pecking order and the, you know, right. the, and and they just destroy each other and themselves while they're holed up. And they start out the movie thinking they're superior to the world, that they're, you know, above the law and they can do this and they deserve this. And then they show how, what they're really made out of. And, and, and I still think that would be a really fun movie to make. Well, I feel like, don't, I mean, that's don't, tell, little, don't tell Tarantino. I was about to say, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> it feels a little bit like Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, I guess it is. I guess it is. That's right. It's, it's, I mean, there's more of a plot to that. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. there's the in, inside cop and so forth, but that's, that's, a, yeah. Just but the, I also the, thought it'd be a great way to, like, I had, a, I still have a cabin up in Lake Arrowhead. It's my foothold in California after I left. And I, and I always thought that'd be a movie you could shoot just in one location yeah. with your friends. Well, that's, that's, that's the new COVID uh, yeah, maybe the yeah. mentality. You know? but I, I like the yeah. idea of, you know, you remove that, that, you know, melodramatic plot element of, uh, I mean, which is great. I love Reservoir Dogs, but the idea of an undercover cop and the suspicions coming out and just show the dissolution of these men as they're locked up is that sounds, uh, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. You know, another idea of a movie I'll share with the world that I just came up because I want somebody, I want to play the part 
of the because I just saw some story that flashed of a of a grandmother who hired a hitman to kill her son and her ex son in law, and <laughs> in Arkansas. And, and I just thought, like, I want to play the FBI. And it turned out that she got caught because she uh, she hired a, a, an FBI undercover hitman. Wow. And I thought it'd be really fun to play an FBI, an FBI guy who's for years, that was his job, was posing as a hitman to set people on. And that way you could do various stories right. of people trying to bump somebody off. And yet I wouldn't have to kill people. Correct. Correct. That's why this is way off topic. I remember a few years ago watching a documentary on HBO about an FBI operation where they had basically created a terrorist cell and then arrested them all so they could sort of jack up their stats. And it's all done with existing footage of the thing. The day after I saw the documentary, it was announced, the FBI announced they were shutting down um, a child porn site they had been running for years, which was the biggest child porn site on the internet. They were using to catch people. And I hear your story. And I'm just wondering, like, if the FBI stopped doing crime for a year, would there actually be any crime left in America? <laughs> they're always doing that. They're always posing as hitmen. They're all crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, the, the final sort of tag on that, I remember I was playing a chief of police and I got to interview a, the chief of police in LA and, and he was this amazing character who, uh, who was uh, telling me these stories of when he was went undercover as uh, a Black Panther in the 60s. And he was he was aware that, that he could be killed by them or by the police that didn't know he was mm -hmm. undercover right. as them. And and then, you know, and, and telling me these stories of Oh, but man, I I couldn't do what you do. I, I shit myself. I, I, <laughs> I, I no, you would not. You, you could we don't get killed. We <laughs> for the most part. Yeah. We survived. <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and, uh, just the, the crazy shit that people do undercover is a fascinating yeah. world to me in general. I think because yeah. we, as actors, we go undercover. Yeah, uh, I mean, no, for sure. That's, uh, I've, I've, uh, come very close to being killed about 12 times in movies. <laughs> and, and it's always odd that they save my death scene for the last day of my working. And they're usually harrowingly dangerous <laughs> I, I didn't realize it at first until like wait a minute joe they're starting to figure it out yeah. you've, you you've figured out the plan you've cracked yeah. the code <laughs> but now um z costa gavras yeah. yes uh, had to have been a young man i just saw him at the director's guild when i was the last time i was in la with his newest film didn't make a big splash but z i saw when i was a kid with my parents taking me because we couldn't afford babysitters and and it was way over my head but it left such a visceral impression on me and i think forever locked in me like we got the car a desire to be in that genre of suspense thriller and i would love to hear you guys talk about if i'm sure well it's not just a it's a political suspense thriller political and, 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 and costa's movies tend to be Quite political. I think the only one that I can remember that wasn't political was the Sleeping Car Murders, which was his first picture yeah. that I ever saw. Um, I may have been the first picture he ever did. I don't know, but uh, but he was he was he was pretty committed, and and I, he didn't. Yeah. Uh, I I can't think of a single picture he made that doesn't have a statement to make. Yeah, yeah, and you know I miss that. I I I, I like movies that have a statement and aren't trying to please everybody, and and. Uh, uh, but the, the, the 
I don't know. How, how do you feel that movie holds up? Because I haven't seen it since. It's I haven't seen it. And I, it's, it helps a, a little bit to know some of the background, the um, uh, political background. But even without that, I mean, the reason it was successful was because it worked on a thriller level. Yeah. Yeah. So I just saw The Battle of Algiers recently. Oh, and it's a great movie. Is that your first time? Wow. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah. one of those movies that for my entire life I knew I was supposed to see this movie. Felt like homework, right? Yeah, I don't know why. Yeah. Still what? <laughs> You're still, still in here. Yeah, I'm here. Come, well, no, you, they, they, they can't. This is a, a, an audio uh, interview. Oh, well, we can but still see it. This is my daughter, Rowan. Hey, Rowan. Uh, and uh, I can hear him. <laughs> Josh and Joe. Wait. Oh, you can't. Yeah. No, I can't. Yeah. Hi, Rowan. Thanks. Hi, Rowan. You look very much Hi. like my niece. <laughs> Come on. Here. <laughs> okay. What do you think of um, Rowan? What do you think of Costa Gavras's body of work? And do you think the politi <laughs> politics have become more explicitly leftist? Well, unfortunately, she oh, where'd she go? Be. Damn it! I was so much. No, more no, I was expecting <laughs> a question like that. <laughs> um, she, uh, but yeah, Battle of Algiers. Yeah, my God. How about it's, that yeah. film? It's yeah. incredible. It's, it's, uh, it's I mean, that, Yeah, I, I don't even have that on my list, but that should be like number one in a way. It's like one of the most incredible films. And, yeah. and Sarah and I, and my wife, Sarah Clark, because we know is an actor as well, a great one. And uh, we were just breaking it down from so many different points of view while we were watching it. And, and one of the things is just like every extra, every, Every character is every human being in frame is a, is a character in the movie. Yeah, it never lets up, and uh, and it's got a great score too. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was one of those movies. I remember my my stepfather was a classics professor, and and uh, you know, there, there's something about a very very serious fellow. So anytime he would recommend a film, it was one of those things where I'd just be like, ugh. Yes, <laughs> but you know dr strangelove was his favorite movie you see dr strangelove you're like oh okay that was all right but um yeah battle for algiers i remember finally seeing it and just going oh my have god have you seen and, uh have you seen burn oh yeah yeah have you have you have you seen burn xander no i don't guess the I brando have. film it's uh it's with marlon brando it's uh it's gillo Port and again uh uh and it's um it's set in um the south was this south indies east indies what is it um, Your guess is as good as mine. He's he's uh, no. he, he, it's about his fight fomenting a revolution, uh, yeah. and he's a he's a, a, a agent of our government, uh, or the, I guess the British government. Uh, it's a terrific movie. It's 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 uh, it, it can be seen I think on Netflix. But oh really? Is there is there a good? Uh... Well, there's two. There's the English version, which is Burn, and there's a little slightly longer version in Italian. It's called Cumata. Oh, okay. I'm gonna write that down. Yeah, yeah highly, highly recommended. Um, well, yeah, it's a great one. You know, I'd never seen the Italian job until the other night. Oh, now we have like a, a projector and a big screen thing. Yeah. To to well, these things do get away from you. You know, you yeah. can't see everything, despite and, what and Josh says. <laughs> yeah, you can't see everything, and sometimes it's really fun to wait until like there's something that's so kitsch and and fun about the style of the '60s now. That yeah. you want to have been, a, a, you want to be as far away as we are now from it. To which, see is, it. which is why I think that the remake doesn't work as well. Oh yeah, I wouldn't. I couldn't even you know. see that. 
I haven't seen the original yet, and I refuse to see it until I see it because I know I won't want to see it. <laughs> it's it's its own it's its own thing, and it's fun. Yeah. I, oh God, talk about the ones that got away. I remember uh, just for, for years ago being um, I was I was going to do a job uh, with with the uh, studio, and um, they wanted to do they were going to do a sequel to uh, the the remake of the Italian Job, and I had in a meeting just sort of thrown out the spontaneous idea that they loved, which we then pursued for a while until it all fell apart of tying the two movies together by making, making the Michael King character, the uncle of the Mark Wahlberg character. And then we would Soderbergh-like use clips from the original to tie into the plot of the new one. And it was so much fun just conjuring with all that. Um, I, was, I was heartbroken. That, that would have been one step better than making him the, the Noel Coward character. <laughs> Yeah, but it was it just you know, and then then it'll everything everything falls apart. It's so it's so sad, but that would have been that would have been fun. I think I think even Joe would have forgiven me for doing that one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know the other uh, the other films are so obvious because I was just literally like trying trying to just come up with ones off the top of my head, um, and and I can you know barely remember uh, some of them uh, because I haven't seen them since like all all the Bergman I saw during that period. When I was 13, 14, 15 oh, right, okay. years old. And so they just, they, they become like memories of, because I, I went to a lot of museums and, and when I was little and wasn't always, it's like you described with your father, you know, it was a little bit like homework at the time when you just like, oh, really? We're going to go to a museum. <laughs> but God, getting no. stuck in front of a certain painting. Anything. <laughs> that, right. that you just suddenly you're there and maybe I only like this one. I'm just going to look at this one <laughs> and, and you get lost in it and it's a memory. That's like, like a movie, right. like, and, and yeah. some of these movies are like memories of paintings, like the magician or, um, you know, wild strawberries and, uh, you know, so do they all kind of, they all like, kind of blend blur together. together in a way? Yeah. Yeah. Fanny, yeah. Fanny and Alexander was 80 two or something so that one's very visceral and very contemporary right. in a weird very way long. very long very yes. long yeah they, but uh, i find that people don't uh, revisit um Berwin as much these no they don't it's, they it's really it's I think, harder I, I think they seem so austere yeah that they just figure talk about homework i mean it's like well this is i'm really going to ennoble myself by sitting through persona whereas in fact persona when when i saw it was so riveting that yeah. the second time I saw it, the story that they tell about what happened on the beach to them, I thought was a scene in the movie. And I was astonished that it was only spoken of. And, but it had made such an impression on me that when I, yeah. I took away the image of whatever that scene was as if he'd shot it. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that, that movie, again, it's just one of those ones that just stays etched in my mind. And then I mean, just the visual images, just their faces. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the emotions yeah. that were going on. And I understand from people that worked with him that he could be very meticulous in his, obviously, he, he composed a frame. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, whether an actor, you know, in America, there's been so much indulgence in the actor and feeling it and the method and all of that that we've, we've all experienced. Um, and some, there's a few things that take the place of that. Uh, when it's working at its best. Um, but there's something about somebody who is choreographing and 
framing and just, I know I really just need you to hold the glass right here and be very still and look at it, then look to her, blink and look away. And that's all I need from you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. Um, and it will and has had, and, and maybe, maybe it's part of the shift of sensibilities, the zeitgeist sort of needles turns and people can't watch those movies now they don't have the attention span they get they will get bored now i think that's true uh, it's that's why john ford is not uh, that popular anymore because you know you have if you have somebody if a shot of that uh, in the grapes of wrath where somebody's walking up a hill in a, in a silhouette and it's on for longer than it takes you to flip the channel right they get bored but that's no. also because you needed to see it in a darkened room on a massive screen. Of course, of course. Of course. It took work to escape. <laughs> but yeah, and we talked about this. But just remember, seen... if, if we didn't have Bergman, we never would have had The Last House on the Left. <laughs> we, we never would have had what? The Last House on the Left. The Wes Craven horror film. It's, yeah. It's a uh, remake I mean, of The Virgin Spring. It is Spring. a remake, yeah. Virgin Spring, yeah. Uh, there are, there are parallels, and, and, and many horror films can be very artful. And, and to harken back just for a moment to um, Brian Bertino, I think that he is, yeah. and, and my, my involvement was because I got the sense from Stranger and the Monster, uh, that like Bernard Rose, uh, for me, when I did Candyman, he'd already done Paper House. Yeah. yeah. And that felt like a, a subgenre of horror, which I, uh, you know, not very cleverly termed smart art horror. And, smart art. Um, I, think, I feel like Brian's in that as well. And I think that there is something really interesting to, to you know, because horror, one of the reasons why I was sort of snotty about avoiding it to some extent, because I thought it would be very easy to get splatter on one. And mm -hmm. not be able to, and it becomes a kind of kitsch joke uh, instead of being taken seriously as an actor. Um, and, but splatter genre, very different than psychological suspense, thriller, horror that has an aesthetic to it. And I think yeah. it can have a really high aesthetic. Yeah, and that film is definitely directed by someone who has seen some uh, very, very beautifully shot films. Um, there's some incredible shots just on the house that those poor people live in that you go to visit them in uh, that are just gorgeous. Um, what do you guys feel about, like, can people watch a movie, like a Tarkovsky movie now? I mean. Well, they don't much, do they? I guess they don't, but they're to I, me. I like... was forced to sit through Andrei Rubiev, and it took me years to go back and watch any of his other films, which I, which I enjoyed. There was something about that one that just, I feel like I'm still sitting there watching it. <laughs> Well, you know, but that's another one that I saw while I was shooting shooting a movie, and there were a, a, three of us, three actors. We um, we were given an old stone, two hundred year old stone farmhouse to live in uh, while we were filming, and uh, there was a sequence of of weekends that I remember. I feel like we kept watching Andre Rublev through various weekends. <laughs> it was raining, it was cold, or whatever, and we just stayed in and we would watch a segment. And and then we go. I think we have to rewind. I I, I think I fell asleep during this part. Don't um, worry. <laughs> yeah, and then you go back, but 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 there's still so much richness. It is like 
some of these movies that are really long, really slow paced, are a little bit like going to a museum to look at, at a, a show of, of a certain painter's work. Well, they also I feel like more than anything, um, you know, I'm, I'm, there's plenty of movies and, you know, like, like you, I mean, they screen and we project on a great sound system. There's a lot of movies I'm perfectly happy to watch here. And I feel like I'm not, aside from the communal aspect of it, I'm not losing anything, but movies like that, or I think of, you know, I think one of the greatest experiences I ever had watching a movie in which everything moves at a glacial pace was uh, Chantal Ackerman's Jean Dielman. I don't know if you've seen it's uh what is it, Joe, four hours maybe? It's yeah. not even that long. And it's three days in the life of a woman uh, who's a housewife. There's a lot of time ironing. There's a lot of time ironing. At one point, yeah. she makes she makes meatloaf. <laughs> one shot where she makes meatloaf and then sits and stares off at the ceiling while it cooks. And I think about it now, and I think it's out on Blu-ray. And, you know, it was an incredible experience watching that film. I don't know how anybody, I don't care how disciplined you are, could sit in a house in your own home telephone over there and a cell phone and a computer and books and yeah, anything else yeah. and sit and just maintain that connection to it. And that being in a room full of other people who are all doing the same thing forces an attention to something like that. That is, I, I could you do it, Joe? Could you watch like John Dealman at home on your cell no. phone? No. Yeah. And I don't even, that, that's, I don't even think that's a function of our lack yeah. of attention. I mean, even, even nostalgia, which I saw in the theater uh, a couple of times, um, I, I think I enjoyed it most when I watched it um, at home on a rainy day with somebody I was with at the time and, and we could fall asleep and wake up and yeah. still be watching it and, um, and come back to it. And, and, but that, you know, Erlen Josephson walking across the pool with the, with the candle, um, you know, it seemed to take forever. <laughs> but part of that, Part of the director's willingness yeah. to to dare to dare you to be bored to death is that if you do that, that without friction, there's nothing. And the friction that comes, inner friction that comes from I'm going to sustain my attention and try to understand what the director was thinking, yeah. <laughs> what the yeah. hell they were thinking when they thought I should watch. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It is moving. Now it's annoying. Now it's moving. Now it's moving. Right. <laughs> God, I still, I'm just flying yeah, as you said that. There's, there's a scene in John Dealman where she goes into a post office and, and stands in line. <laughs> and, I mean, and I remember like five minutes into it, the audience noticed that the little old lady standing in front of her was wobbling a bit. And we all started kind of going, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Like now we're into some action. <laughs> yeah, now it's, now it's, you know, it's like a car chase in a Michael Bay film when you've been there three and a half hours. But, um, she's wobbling. She's, yeah. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. But uh, I also want to go back to something you said because it's it's and we'll bring this back to your original topic too because um, what you said about Bergman I had an interesting experience the other night where uh, Joe we watched um, uh, for for one of my movie nights uh, just this past week we watched Son of Frankenstein which we had talked about on the show and uh, I felt I had not seen in years and nobody had seen in years and we all realized watching it we had this conversation afterwards that 
the way especially those kind of films came to me when I was a kid was on TV. And it wasn't like today. It wouldn't be like you'd look in TV Guide and go, oh, Son of Frankenstein is going to be on at five. I'll watch that. You would just turn on it. You'd look until you found something with a monster yeah, in it. Yeah. And then you'd watch as much of it as you could until your parents dragged you away or what have you. And I must have seen a thousand amazing, you know, classic horror films and other films that way. So that I don't know, as I was watching this film, I don't know that I ever seen it beginning to end in sequence, but I'd seen almost all of it. And it had blurred together with every other universal horror film that I have not seen beginning, middle and end all the way through. Right. And they have just formed these memories of, and you realize they're disconnected. So they almost become memories of your own life. You know, the time the Burgermeister came over and played darts with you. It's like, <laughs> I can't quite remember why he was in my house. And you're like, yeah, because you missed that part. And it's, um, but it's interesting right. that you had that with Bergman because, uh, um, yeah, you can have it with anything. And it does, it starts forming your consciousness in some way, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it certainly does. If it enters in early enough. Um, well, that's all I mean, we take away as memories. I mean, you know, yeah, that's all, yeah. that's all they are, Yeah. you know, and they're jumbled in our heads and some are more jumbled than others. And particularly when you're a kid and you're watching with commercials and, and the movies are all cut up. And it was like, it's amazing how, how, um, how many ardent film buffs were created by people who only saw little pieces of the movies and, yeah, yeah. and in, in, in the worst possible conditions. Well, isn't that in a way the closest approximation to dream, to the dream world? Yeah. Are these yeah. fragments that are put yeah. together? sometimes in completely non-congruous ways, but that are so affecting. And an image, an image from a dream that you had when you were a kid can pop into your head out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And and it's like it's, you can remember it exactly. And, and I, I think that that's, there's something that, taking your time with a movie and not necessarily being an adherent to the rules of, uh, of engagement, structural screenwriters taught yeah. rules, but where it, where it starts to slide into the subconscious realm. Yeah. And it may even annoy you at the time you're watching it that you can't form a coherent narrative but it, it's going to slide in there into your subconscious like it's your own goddamn dream and memory down the line. Yeah, yeah. Because you had to work for it in a way, because you, there's something about that friction. Yeah, I know it's true. Pacing. I mean, do you think we'll ever get back? Do you think that the, the just the evisceration of the attention span through all of you know, social media and all the, the fast cut editing everybody has been doing for so long. It just will will keep us from being able to have the pace and rhythm of, of earlier films. I think it's uh, the, the attention span has been uh, inalterably changed. Uh, yeah. and, um, and particularly for young people, you know, people who are coming up and we saw all these, we, some of the movies we're talking about were, were seen when we were still in our formative stages. Uh, and we had all that stuff, all that classical kind of stuff uh, to lean on. But now, um, I don't. I don't think that the aesthetic will ever go back to what it was because there just won't be an audience for it. As 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 our generation dies out, uh, the new generations are going to be looking for Kardashian kind of entertainment. 
they can't see and they can't hear it because this is just a but there's a big tear rolling down my cheek right now. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I try to be optimistic. Sad. I mean, keep, keep in mind that, you know, when we were watching this stuff, there were people 40 years older than us complaining about, you know, fast paced, crazy movies. Yeah, exactly. So it's always going to be. Yeah. But it's, 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 it's like, you know, you know, it, it, that's why they had libraries is because, you know, kids weren't reading Dickens for fun. They were reading Dickens yeah. because it was something that they should know. And, but, but I think that uh, times change and, um, you know, the movies are 20th century art form and the 20th century has been over for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting because music's been around forever and, uh, and it's still, there's, there's periods. Like I, I always loved that Brian Eno came up with a term called senius because he was annoyed by the term genius that was mm -hmm. always being thrown around and that genius somehow Particularly, Americans are fond of this notion of there's one big ego that sits on top that's that's uh, gets all the credit for whatever is happening down below, um, and whether it be a director or a or, or a, a particular member in a particular band or or whatever that there's something that I think relates to the various painting movements, art movements that have happened, cinema music that there's a scene there's something about a bunch of people at a certain time that all catch fire together with um with an aesthetic with a with a movement of some kind that creates a greater a, a sum greater than its parts and um something that you know in a, in a way like my my 14 my year old daughter older daughter um was listening to, I just had made a, a list, a playlist for her, and it's in the speaker system. It was playing while I was preparing dinner. And she was like, wait, all of these songs were like when you were my age? That's not fair. That's not fair. Um, because she said there's nothing now that like she finds as moving and as engaging as the music was at that time, like between the British invasion and and uh and Motown and, and all these things that were happening when I was like 12 to 14, that um, there was a, a zeitgeist phenomena that took place there in those in 10 to, to 14 for me. And I was born in December of 55. So I just hit this lucky window of coming of age with an incident. And I said, yeah, all on the AM radio. Can you imagine? <laughs> um, and you know, so I don't know. I, I wonder if kids get sick enough on some level because I, I, I think that visually she doesn't she hasn't yet come around to appreciate. I know she will um, cinema because she'll she'll treat it very much the way uh, Josh was describing uh, with his father. It felt like it feels like doing homework. They have to sit through an older movie right. either. But the 10 year old watches like we were Sarah and I we got Rowan to watch Wuthering Heights and a whole bunch oh, wow. of older movies <laughs> at one point. The the one with the, the Noel Coward one about the blood spirit and just weird movies that because she has this other uh, otherworldly sort of old time spirit in her. And she's completely captivated from beginning to end. Mm. It's good. It's good to hear. <laughs> we saw, yeah. And so and whether that'll disappear in another year, who knows? But what is the movie that we saw also with her that was unbelievable um, that 
had an actual, you guys would both know this right off the bat, but I'm losing it. Um, had an actual, a guy that had lost, uh, lost some limbs or something. Uh, best years war. of our lives? And, yeah, best years of our best lives. Best years of our lives. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'd, we'd never seen, Sarah and I had never seen it. And we watched it. I forget it was in honor of somebody or something. We were watching it. And Rowan watched it with us, and we were gobsmacked at how much mm. we moved and loved it. And she did. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, again, I try to be the optimistic one. There's so much out there now. There's such a body of, of, of work. You can't possibly wrap yourself around it anymore. So that, that kids today are drawing from just a wildly diverse source of film. And you never know. It's like I'm always happily surprised when – you know, nieces and nephews find some, some, I have no idea how they find this movie, but they found some strange artifact and they've loved it in a way that you didn't think they would because yeah, yeah, it's yeah. their 21st century children, you know, and, um, uh, you know, I think, I think they're just going to appreciate the stuff differently than, than we did. Um, yeah, and, clearly, and that's, yeah. uh, that's just you something. Know, I, I did a movie, uh, here's, here's a, one of the movies that I almost put on my list was, uh, Zorba the Great, because I enjoyed watching that so much when I was a kid. And I got to work with Michaelis Kakayanis, who directed it, and Alan Bates, who was in Zorba the Great, of course. Oh, wow. yeah. and, um, and it was a movie shot in Bulgaria at the ex-king of Bulgaria's cherry orchard. And it was, it was Chekhov's The Cherry Orchard. And I was the only American in it. He, he'd cast it. He'd spent six years writing it, re- writing the screenplay on, based on the play. And spent another year casting it, going all over the world with a casting director. And basically wanted faces and actors of merit that could play all the peasants. Um, And he wanted all of our disparate different accents, um, just evening them out. So he had Gerard Butler was like, it was his second film. And, and, uh, and, uh, Melanie Linsky is from New Zealand. Oh, Jerry, yeah. of course, is from Scotland and very Scottish accent. And Melanie, very New Zealand <laughs> Kiwi accent at the time. Oh, and, uh, and Owen Teal, a whole bunch of different people from all over. And, um, and basically, he would just take out the particularities of our regional sound so that we would sound like peasants relative to Charlotte Rampling and Alan Bates playing the brother and sister that were the Poshies. And... Um, and Michael Goff, who was the butler. Uh. And, and it was almost a, a classic film, but in today's audience, the, uh, he, uh, apropos, you're talking about the standing in line, he went to a close-up, he edited it himself. He got Ashkenazi to play the score, and Ashkenazi watched the movie and improvised the score mm. playing while watching it. It's kind of amazing. And Ashkenazi felt it was the most russian authentically russian version of any Chekhov ever filmed and he ah. was in love with the right. film beginning to end and uh, that's why he donated his services and uh but uh he he did a close-up of the doorknob turning and it's like nah, can't do that anymore you have to yeah. cut that you gotta cut the boom somebody opening the door unless it's and, suspense <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unless it's a suspect. That's a murderer on the other side. And it wasn't, you yeah. know, so it, he didn't get away with it and they, they didn't go see it. 
But you know, some some fifteen year old will stumble across that and love it. Yeah, and you'll be yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, and I think one of the things too we lose is is um, you lose a kind of you know don't be programmer. I think probably kind of disappears that kids aren't going to you know ever come across and um, you know and that's and that's sad because we love you know our B movies. But I, I do think the great ones are going to sort of continue to stumble along and find audiences. So I have I have hope. I have hope, Joe. You are such a Pollyanna. One, one of his favorite. <laughs> one of my favorite movies. One of, favorites one of my favorite movies, movies actually. Uh, a deeply, deeply subversive, probably the most subversive film Disney ever produced. But uh, yeah, yeah, I do love that. Uh, well, Xander, thank you so much, man, for, for coming out and uh, taking us through this stuff. It's been wonderful. Well, thank you guys so much for inviting yeah. me and for uh, sharing your, your insights, which I really... You know, I, I knew both of you would be cinephiles, and I always feel like I could learn every time. Stay, I stay warm in uh, Maine. Yes, stay and, warm uh, in Maine. And I'm, go, I'm going to New York on Monday. It'll be a little warmer there. But I, I don't want to stay too warm. I don't want to see if I have a fever, you know. Are you flying? Oh, yeah, I'm flying. Have you done that before recently? Yeah, I just finished a job in Oklahoma. So what's I got out like? unscathed. It's like the last time I worked was in February before that, where I had to fly. And I just finished this. I'm, I'm in the middle of doing an international Zoom film now. I think I mentioned that's very that feels very safe. But I wrapped in Brooklyn, like, and got home, like, even after thinking I was so clever because I, I canceled my flight to LA in February, I ended up shooting in Brooklyn in February because the only cases that existed were out there. And then it, I got I got home, and the day I got home from that that shoot. New York exploded and everybody, everybody was in the hospital. It was like insane. And now this is my first time going back to New York since then. And I'm like, of course I, I had to take the COVID test today and I'll, I'll be like double masking and wearing a scarf. Do you you have to quarantine when you get there? Well, they've tested me before I go and then they'll do another onsite the minute I arrive. And then I, I quarantine essentially just for four days before I start shooting. Okay, that's better than two weeks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, good luck. Uh, yeah, thank you. Good luck. Have a good time. I'm sure there are things to do in New York still. Yes, it, it will find a way. I will find a way. Looking for places that aren't closed is one of those. <laughs> yeah. And just a heads up to our listeners: Xander's new movie, The Dark and the Wicked. Drops today all over the internet, uh, today being December 15th, if you're listening to us on the day. Otherwise, it dropped yesterday, or a couple days ago, or last week, or last month, or last year. Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made Me. Stay safe out there, folks. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. 
You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.